G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena and good morning New Zealand, uh, Tuesday morning and it's uh, 9.03 as we head towards uh, midday. I'm Ian Smith, uh, we've got a really good show for you this morning, a very pertinent show as well. David White, uh, the CEO of New Zealand Cricket with us very shortly um, because uh, they've had a logistical nightmare trying to put together tours and players etc uh, to avoid COVID and quarantine. Man, what a job it is at the moment, wouldn't have it uh, for quids. Phil Totorangi. At 9.30, just after 9.30, we'll look at uh, Lydia's performance, um, what's coming up in the golfing world, because, of course, uh, Lydia headed uh, straight to the UK for the the Open Championship, the women's version, coming up very shortly. Uh, Interesting interview just after 10 with Brett Cameron. Now, Brett, of course, former All Black, uh, but has um, gone from uh, Christchurch uh, to the Manawatu to take over the playmaker's role there for the Turbo. So... uh, What's it like uh, changing and the, the decision behind that and the need to or the desire to keep playing and going high, higher in the game within New Zealand? Uh, what do those kind of fringe players feel like? R- Richard Nola and Mark Ginty will be the panel. And Mark Ginty, of course, is a fantastic uh, cricket writer. He's got uh, uh, the inside oil on most things that happen in cricket. So uh, look forward to that, particularly on a, a team naming day. Uh, Louis Herman, Watt, Brendan Popwell and the legendary, and I say that, and I don't say it very often about the Aussies, but a legendary David Campisi after 11 o'clock. It's a busy morning. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. So while the country sits uh, on tenterhooks awaiting the outcome of some more COVID tests of that port workers, uh, port workers in Tauranga, the possibility of hosting the NRL Grand Final at Eden Park seems very remote indeed. Would the showpiece of Rugby League sell out anyway in Auckland without the Warriors? Remember, no Aussie fans or Kiwis. The novelty factor would be huge, but it would be a real acid test of just how popular the 13-man code is in this country. More than likely, it would be a one-off occasion, a rare occasion, if indeed it did come to pass. What about combining it with other finals? How about the Farah Palmer Cup at 2 o'clock? The Bunnings... NPC final at 4 o'clock, the NRL grand final at 7.30. Doesn't that cater for a few more, no considerably more, oval ball appetites? There might be some confusing ground markings, but that would just add to the fun. It might end up slightly after 10 o'clock. We could promise not to cheer and applaud too loud at the presentations. No fireworks, definitely no fireworks. Hey, but isn't Helen Clark a big league fan, so there's no problem there. Bossy says the league teams are in a safe bubble now. So bubble to New Zealand, no problem at all. The PM says no, virtually no chance. Not even, not even a busy Auckland heaving with sports fans over that weekend would qualify in a, for an economic exemption. Well, not anymore anyway. 
To be fair, this is uh, a far out. It seems more a knower than a goer, doesn't it? And the possibilities, my possibilities, uh, my theories seem very distinct. Sad but true. Uh, but getting back to those sport workers in Tauranga, just say, just say, and hopefully not, there are some positive tests. And just say that last weekend, half a dozen of those lads from the dock had a boys trip to Eden Park and were part of the 47,000 crowd. Just saying, just saying. Nine oh seven here on SCN said uh, the new team in town and uh, cricket is always part of our team and uh, part of uh, New Zealand cricket is of course the CEO the boss he's been in the, in the gig for a long time actually must be uh, coming up ten twelve maybe in thirteen years for David White in the role so it's been long it's been busy and it's never been busier than it is right now. Good morning, David White. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Morning, Smithy. No, it's not thirteen. It's nine years actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it Might nine? Seem longer to you, nine. But it's not nine years. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet at times it seemed longer than you to you as well, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. It's, okay, uh, let's... Yeah, it's an interesting one. It is, and it's very interesting at the moment with having to deal with what's going on around the world. Uh, you uh, sit alongside so many and, uh, administrators who are trying to juggle teams here, left, right, and centre. Uh, there's a busy time ahead for the Black Caps with these tours coming up to the subcontinent areas, which, of course, uh, have had their COVID problems like the rest of the world. Um, it's interesting that uh, you've been able to come up with these combinations. Over 30 players across three squads. Logistically, just how tough did uh, the selectors find it and you guys find it having to put them in those particular zones? Well, first and foremost, Smithy, I think um, it's very important that Cricket continues. Um, you know, both Bangladesh and Pakistan toured New Zealand last year. So uh, for us to reciprocate and play international cricket is, is very important to keep that going. So, um, you know, it's been it's been challenging with COVID and it's not getting easier, to be quite frank. Uh, and we've seen signs over the last 12 months of the impact of the, of the, um, the bubble environments on both our players and support staff. So... We're, we're, we're managing their workload. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but um, our guys, uh, the Black Caps, leave next week to go to Bangladesh and actually get out of managed isolation on the 23rd of December. So that's the rest of the year they're touring. So it's very important that we manage the workload of everyone. That's why um, the selectors have come up with the squads that they have, and, and we're delighted, actually. Um, I think it's really showing a lot of depth now. And I think uh, what the team did in England this year um, showed that depth. So we, we're excited about the tour and excited about bringing some new players on board. The, the Mace tour, how, how did that go overall? I heard stories of queues around the blocks and all sorts of things, which is a wonderful thing. Um, well, it, it's just, I mean, we're, here we are in the middle of winter. We've just had the Olympics. But to see cricket still in the headlines must uh, really please you. Yeah, the most tour was fantastic. Um, unfortunately, we, you know, it was a bit of a whistle stop tour, so we couldn't do the whole country. But, but we have set up a system where the rest of the country can see the mace um, throughout the summer. Um, but we had huge queues um, throughout the country, and a lot of excitement and interest. And it just shows you that you know, test, test cricket is strong, and there's a real passion in New Zealand for test cricket. 
Uh, one of the, the, the new men to come in in terms of the coaching staff is a, a name that not many will know too much about, Glenn Pocknell, who's uh, uh, he's in, in charge of Wellington at the moment. Tell us a wee bit about Glenn and, and what you see in him uh, with this pretty important tour that he's leading. Well, Glenn's a career coach. And, and one thing I think that you know we have done well over the years is we've, um, we've brought coaches on who are well-established and have kind of earned their stripes right from community up to elite. So he's one of those coaches. Um, he's really doing a fantastic job now with Wellington. Um, and I think it's very important that we invest in our New Zealand coaches, we invest in the domestic talent that we've got. And um, it's really shown dividends for us over the last five or six years. Wadi, the, obviously the big goal at the end of the year is the T20 World Cup uh, in uh, the UAE, Dubai, etc., those areas. Um, so that was the one I guess you had to nail down first as the priority. Yeah, so we've actually got our two major priorities this winter are exactly that, the T20 World Cup. And then after the World Cup, we then go to India and play two test matches. So... So those two test matches against India are also of equal priority for us as we commence the next cycle of the World Test Championship. But that, that is reflected in the selection and um, our test squad will be uh, announced within the next few weeks. Why do you, you've also managed to find a window to release uh, your IPL players. Uh, a lot of people around the country sort of, I still think they raise their eyebrows about that kind of thing. Um, but um, just explain why it's so important for those players. You know, the financial side of things is obvious to set yourself up, etc. But why, why you always look, if you can, to accommodate the IPL? Well, we, we take a pragmatic approach to it. Um, just like you say, it's, you know, it can be challenging. But ever since it started in 2008, uh, New Zealand cricket has allowed its players to play in the IPL. It does provide them the opportunity to play at it at a strong level, but and also receive some additional remuneration. There's no hiding from that. Our players don't get paid the same amount as some of the big countries, but it is a way to supplement their income. And um, like I said, we take a pragmatic approach to it. And it, I don't believe it's impacted on our international performance. In fact, I think in some areas it's enhanced it. Well, certainly it... it uh... From a player's point of view, okay, you know, obviously there's money to be made out of it, but the uh, opportunity, a very rare opportunity to, to learn and uh, to, to pass on information, uh, uh, you know, with the experienced players like Williamson and Bolton Co. Uh, but for the younger guys who are lucky enough to get a gig there, um, the ability and the opportunity to learn, um, you probably can't put a price on some of that. Oh, and I think a great example of that, Smithy, is um, Jamison playing with Coley. Um, you know, um, for, you know, formed a, a nice bond and um, respectful relationship. And but just to learn from those players is, is a great opportunity. What well, are you and I? Um, we we toured together to Pakistan in 1990, but uh, since that time there hasn't been a lot of action for New Zealand in Pakistan or Pakistan at home for anybody. To be fair, so uh, I guess it's pleasing um, uh, that we can get back to Pakistan from your point of view. I think for international cricket, I think it's uh, it's a real positive. Gee, it's been tough for them over a number of years now. For them to not be able to play at home, uh, you know, for their fans and the development of the players has been challenging. So I think for global cricket, I think it's a real positive. And um, 
you know, we're, we're looking forward to the tour. Um, it's a challenging place, um, but um, I think it's a real positive for international cricket. 9.14 here on SENZ, talking to CEO of New Zealand Cricket, uh, David White. Um, Whitey, let's look at uh, what's coming up at home this year, uh, the schedule that um, all going well uh, is in place for the Black Caps. Yeah, so we're working through that with the government at the moment, just securing MIQ spots. So we've, we've obviously got our international programme, plus we've also got the Women's World Cup, which is a, a big focus but we host test matches against um, Bangladesh and South Africa, short form against South Africa, um, and also the Netherlands. Uh, they're coming over to play in the um, Cricket World Cup qualifying rounds, the, the one-day games. And um, and we're also, you know, it's quite a fluid situation at the moment, to be quite honest. And we're looking, always looking for more opportunities to get quality teams into New Zealand, and, and that's ongoing as we go. So it, it's uh, it's August now. Um, this world that we live in is changes by the day. So um, we're hopeful that by um, the end of this month, early September, we'll have a confirmed programme. Well, that, uh, it's interesting you mentioned the, the, the Women's World Cup. I mean, you know, obviously postponed, put back. Um, and, of course, we, you know, we, we've got a side that are privileged and a country privileged to host it. Uh, logistically, though, there you go. I mean, I won't say the word nightmare, but it's got to be bloody tough to, to put all that together at the moment. Oh, I know it is, and um, you know as much as has been said about MIQ places and spots, but um, it's been run by a separate entity, um, uh, you know, which we're you know closely involved, of course. But um, working closely with the government on on these uh, MIQ spaces, and also having um, facilities available for them to train as well, um, if they are an MIQ, um, is, is challenging. But um, We'll find a way. Um, we found a way last summer and we'll just keep working closely with the government and the cricket network will rally together and I'm sure that we'll have a compelling season next year. Uh, why do you... Uh, we're, we're jokingly, I think, speculating. Uh, well, some people might be serious about the NRL final being played at Eden Park, transferring that whole Australian competition, the, the finale of that, because of the fact that we can have crowds. We can have sell-out crowds and we're so privileged in this country. Have there been any thoughts or any inquiries from overseas about uh, other competitions being played here? Um, when COVID first was introduced, there was. But I think what's happened, um, the challenges around getting beds and MIQ is a real issue. And, and, the, and the government's got a difficult position where they're balancing Kiwis coming home and other people coming home, you know, the horticulture sector, etc., with sports teams. So... It, it, it's very complex, and um, we're working closely with the government on that, but it, it is not straightforward and um, quite quite a challenging act for the government, to be quite honest. Why do you, uh, one of the other issues uh, I'd love to talk to you a, a wee bit about is, um, is this issue of pressure on athletes these days, and of course in the last 24 hours we've heard some terrible news come out of cycling, but you've had uh, to experience it to a lesser degree, thank God, uh, with two of your uh, female players, high-profile players, just taking a step back from the game for a while, what kind of measures? What kind of measures do you now have to put in place as, as you know, as an administrator that perhaps weren't even considered five years ago, ten years ago? Uh, it's um, you know, it's just terrible um, the situation overnight, and feel for the family um, and friends. 
just um, you know, it's just a terrible situation. But what we've done is I think our, our tour schedule has reflected that, um, the challenges that athletes and support staff are facing. Um, we've seen signs over the past 12 months of challenges and impact on athletes and support staff. Therefore, we are, um, we're really sharing the load this, this winter. That's why we, we're, you know, 32 players and we've still got to announce a test squad and we're using a number of support staff. So, so that's the immediate uh, that we've got. But we've also set up a system with the Players Association um, where um, they are getting, the, the athletes and support staff are getting very strong independent su- support in terms of um, well-being and, and also professional development. So so when the players go on tour, we will have um, very strong support for them, a support network both on tour and at home where all the players will be connecting to their support systems. And we've spent a lot of time in planning on this with the Players Association and our, and our medical professionals to ensure that our athletes and support staff are well supported and well looked after. Because, Smithy, it's tough now. Um, you know, not only is the pressure of playing at that level, but the complication and then the overlay of COVID makes it even more difficult. So, um, you know, we're, I think we're well prepared. Um, so I think we're in a really reasonably strong position, but we cannot take anything for granted. Yeah, it is. It's very sombre. It's very sobering. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people just, you know, look at our teams on the field and say, OK, they got there, you know, they came up through the ranks and, Etc. But when you consider, um, you know, that these are jobs now. These are these are just not sports. These are these are jobs. These are commitment to the future for yourself, for your family, etc. And a hell of a lot more hinges on it these days. It seems from the outside anyway that um, uh, that the pressures uh, can get um, too much too much for some people. I mean, I, and I'm not just uh, saying this about women's sport. The men, I'm sure, feel a lot of pressure uh, about you know the future uh, after cricket. And that, that, they're the fringe-type players I'm talking about who have no guarantees. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite interesting, Smith. We've just completed the um, the annual survey of the Cricket Players Association um, for men and women. And what was really pleasing, what is really pleasing now is that this year, 44% of the players have uh, achieved a tertiary qualification. So what's happening now is the players are studying and working towards their future while they're playing. If you go back 10 or 15 years, those numbers will be nowhere near that. So I think our system is developing. It's not perfect yet. But if we can ensure that our players are preparing for the future so that and they're not defined just as cricketers, they're defined you know, as the people that they are and they get qualifications and set themselves up for life, then um, I think we're doing our job. Um, as opposed to just treating them solely as cricketers. Yeah, well, why do you think you're doing your job uh, in a lot of areas, actually? Um, uh, it sounds like you've got uh, the back room pretty well covered, but uh, the fact of the matter is uh, we're performing on the field and we are one of the most respected cricketing nations, if not the most, uh, and probably the side that every other country in the world wants to see on their shores at the moment. Um, hey, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, obviously, it's going pretty well at uh, the head office. Uh, and let's look forward to uh, some, some more cricket involving New Zealand teams and some successful days ahead. Thank you so much. Brilliant, Smithy. Thank you for your support. Uh, cheers. That's David White, folks, um, uh, here on SENZ this morning. And
wouldn't have his job uh, really. Uh, I probably would, but I, I wouldn't have it, you know, as easily as I would have uh, years and years ago. And uh, he's had so many over the last uh, nine years. I thought it was longer. Uh, he's had so many things to deal with uh, on and off the field that um, we would even know about. But that's part and parcel of the gig. And at the end of it, uh, it appears everything's going pretty damn well. 922. Uh, here on SCNZ. 88.33, though, is the magic number for you. That's our text number. Uh, text us with uh, your, your feelings about the black caps, if you like, uh, on a positive note, how well they're going, how well it seems from the outside. That's a good subject. Um, you know, if, if you want to get into, um, you know, the, the depressing side of, of what we're hearing about now, uh, bear in mind that um, there are lines that, you know, you can call 0800 543 as a lifeline. Uh, call or text 1737 any time for support from a trained individual. There are um, avenues for you if you're listening in here and you've, you've got things to deal with. Uh, the boys on the Brecky Show said uh, please call if you, you know if you need an outlet. I'm uh, sure um, if, if any of us could possibly help in any regard, we would do that. 0800-150-811 is our phone number. And on a brighter note, you could be caller of the month. You go in the draw to win an All Blacks experience. Thanks to Ballpark Entertainment. Uh, we'll be back very shortly talking a bit of golf with Phil Tautarangi as well as uh, listening to maybe you and uh, re- reacting to some of your texts as well. Safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Three texts have just come in, folks. Uh, all three without names on them. So please, we encourage you to put your names on them, personalise them. It, uh, it makes me feel better actually having a name to, to reply to. Uh, when is the Black Caps summer schedule news release? Well, if you go to the Black Caps website there, uh, you'll find the schedule there. Uh, dates, times, grounds, etc. pretty much uh, to the minute. So uh, I'd, I'd download that app anyway because all the news comes through on that. Uh, Smithy is uh, no CDG. Colin de Gronholm in the T20 World Cup squad a surprise to you. Yes, it is actually. It is. I, I would have thought that Colin de Gronholm would have got the spot occupied by Tim Seifert. Now, I can understand why they think they should have uh, the best wicketkeeper around in T20 in there, uh, based on the fact that there could be a lot of spin involved in the T20 World Cup. But uh, he wasn't in it at the end of the year. Um, he didn't, hasn't done much since. And they've got two wicketkeepers in there, I think, who could suffice with Conway and Glenn Phillips. So it is interesting to me uh, that Colin de Gronholm, who is a match winner, and that's what you need in those games. If he gets hot for, for 20 balls with a, the with a bat in hand, you win. It's as simple as that. Of course, he's a great fielder. Uh, and he can bowl two or three tight overs if required. So that, to me, is probably the talking point. Well brought up, actually. Uh, and the third one is uh, a, a slightly sombre one. Uh, I'd just like to give my condolences to the family who I know well. We need to remember that these athletes are human and, and are under so much pressure. So RIP Liv, such a great young lady, gone way too soon, and we only echo those thoughts and reiterate those numbers. Um, if you're feeling it very tough at the moment, 0800 543 uh, free call or text 1737 anytime for support from a trained counsellor or youth line 0800 376 633 free text 234 or email. All those numbers are available to you on various websites etc. Um, we encourage them, encourage you to use them if you feel the need. It's here on SCNZ and uh, opportunity to uh, cross over to uh, our golfing expert, um, teared up with Phil 
Tautarangi on Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock. It's a busy show. I really enjoy listening to it. It keeps us up to the minute with everything going on in the golfing world, and it is a pretty busy place. And, Phil, uh, just these this, uh, horrible times that we're sort of experiencing at the moment or feeling in New Zealand over uh, this, this poor young lady, uh, it reminds me of a, a golf book I read, and, and you know, it was, it was at the time when it was released, regardless, probably one of the most uh, pertinent sporting books of its era, uh, and that you will have uh, read, I'm sure, and experienced some of this stuff, was A Good Walk Spoiled, The Days and Nights mm-hmm. on a PGA Tour by John Feinstein. Man, that is such such uh, an open and outlining read. Uh, I remember it. And in fact, I might even go back and reread it. It was that fascinating because I think it, it applies even more today. Not only have I read it, Smithy, I've lived it. Um, and uh, just about every single word that John Feinstein penned in that book is absolutely the environment on the PGA Tour. Well, some of it's sprinkled with summer sunshine from time to time, but um, there are a lot of lonely nights and a lot of times where you, um, you know, you embark on a career in sport, pursuing your dream and, and, and your passions, but um, not, every, uh, not every single day on the road is like that, and you can attest to that. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, you just hope as, as an athlete that your really great days um, outweigh the other ones. But it, it just does emphasise that, you know, when, when your career is on the line, when your, your dream is on the line, as much as anything else tangible, your dream is on the line. Uh, just how, um, how tough it can be out there. Well, it is. And, and I think it also highlights some of the, the importance of team. Um, and, and golf's an individual sport, and, and there are a number of different sports where although you feel like you are part of a team, you are in somewhat isolated as an individual, but it's important to have good people around you, and some of those good people can just be your mates that aren't actually on your team, that you just catch up with for a beer down at the pub every now and then. Um, those mates that you went to school with, I, I, I had a couple of really close mates who... Uh, end up being my best men and, and, and are still very, very close, who grounded you, who kind of brought you back down to the realities of life. And um, and, and sometimes you kind of need that to you know, snap you out of either the little lull that you're in, uh, the little dark cloud that might be hanging over you, and then also bring you back down to the ground when um, when maybe things are going well and uh, and you think you're a little bit bigger than the boots that you wear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some very true words there, uh, you know, uh, just getting back to ground zero from time to time and really realising that uh, there is a life and other option out there at times is, is really good. Now, hey, look, it seems that Lydia's got a great support staff around and, and once again she creates a bit of golfing history, uh, another medal. Boy, it was topsy-turvy sort of event for her. There. It's, it's like what could have been, isn't it? What could have been. Yeah, it really, yeah, it really is. Uh, Smithy, you're right. I, th- I think in... in, in to be fair, and, and we spoke a little bit about this last week, and I've been kind of taking the mickey a little bit about 72 holes of straight play as the format for the men's and women's Olympic competitions. But across the last couple of weeks, um, you weren't too sure what medal was going to go to what player until the last part of the drop. So, you know, kudos, I guess, um, that not only the, uh, the format, the players, but the golf course as well, and just the way it was all handled around the Olympics. You know, we got some pretty exciting finishes. Lydia was, uh, you know, at one moment she looked like she was wearing gold. A whole later looked like she was getting nothing. 
um, ultimately in the in the playoffs for um, for silver and bronze and came out with with the lesser of the two. But um, when you when you have a look at you know maybe the last couple of years, obviously she was in number one player in the world at, in Rio and, and took home the silver. Then um, it's been a little bit of a, a windy road since. And um, you know here's here's Lydia who who most probably is the epitome of of graciousness uh, in competition who. Um, you know, seems to have in her young years a, a very philosophical approach to, to to golf, despite it being her chosen pursuit from a very young age. Um, and you know, it's a, I think that's most probably the the takeaway as much as anything for me is that here's um, here's a young lady trying to win a medal for not only herself uh, and her country, but her family with what she was going through, and not many people around the golfing world or the sporting world or that event knew what was going on for the, the co-family. So um, brilliant for her, not only that she wins a, a, a bronze medal, but um, to have something to celebrate when, um, when losing a family member. Yeah, absolutely, Phil. Uh, you know what impresses me most about women's golfers is their short game. Man, it, it makes me absolutely jealous. They're the same fringes, the same bunkers, the same greens on that course that the men... Uh, had to endure. They, they surely the, the distances weren't uh, as great. The, the holes were shorter in most cases. But the fact of the matter of the finishing touches that these women have around the greens, etc., are astounding. And and a lot of men on tour would just would crawl over broken glass for them, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, Lydia's actually been, uh, I guess, a pioneer in that that respect. Because uh, and I had a great catch up with uh, with Guy Wilson last week, starting kind of a long form podcast series. Um, Guy Wilson, of course, started Lydia out as a five year old when she walked through the pro shop at, uh, with her parents at Pupuki um, all those years ago. And you know, how do you get a five or six year old to to fall in love with the game? Well, Guy started her as close to the hole as possible and started working her away from there. And so no no surprise, really, that her short game is the envy or was the envy um, of a number of women on the LPGA, LPGA Tour. And, and consequently, the, the you know, brigade that she inspired, all the teenagers that have come through, Natalie Corder, now the number one player in the world, is one of those, only a few years younger than Lydia, but kind of saw how she played the game. Well, she didn't overpower golf courses, but she certainly scored. And uh, to your point, I think the short games of the uh, of the LPGA players have really sharpened up. And I think one of the main reasons is they, they saw how Lydia won tournaments um, so impressively with her scoring. Um, not necessarily her ability to outpower golf courses to or to threaten other players with her power and her strength, but more the ability to get the ball in the hole quickly and um, it, it's great that she's able to do that now and, and, and certainly is, um, is more competitive on a more regular basis than we've seen over the last couple of years. But I think she's changed the way that the game has been played on the LPGA Tour. And, and I think you're right that the, the ability to get the ball in the hole a lot quicker for some of the players now is, um, is really a, a trait of a number of the LPGA players. So, uh, Phil... Um Lydia now is in the UK playing in the Scottish Open, and then, of course, it's the Women's British Open, uh, the last major of the year for them. Uh, but the, what I'm really looking forward to, and you mentioned uh, team golf, you don't have a lot of opportunities uh, for team. 
Uh, but the Ryder Cup's not that far away, and the Solheim Cup as well. And uh, they're great formats, uh, which really do uh, attract golf fans and sports fans. Yeah, really are. And uh, they, they changed up a little bit. We've got the FedEx Cup before before that. And look, that's a, a kind of a season-ending series where all of those players that have played well throughout the course of the year, they get to play for a bit of Christmas dough. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Solheim Cup and the, and the Ryder Cup are, are going to take on uh, slightly different slightly different um, storylines, I think, this year. Inevitably, in the men's competition, it's always about can the, you know, the, the overwhelming favourites of the US take on the underdogs of, uh, of Europe. Um, I think it's going to be slightly different storylines this year with some of the characters that are going to be on those, uh, on those sides, namely Bryson DeChambeau and, and Brooks Koepka for, from a team culture standpoint in the, uh, in the US team room and in Europe. Um, it's going to be interesting given that they've got the number one player in the world in John Rahm. But um, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, can he get a test-to-test negative uh, for COVID is going to be something that uh, we'll keep an eye on as uh, we get a little closer to that competition late September. As always, Phil, thanks very much. Regular spot on Tuesday with us. Uh, Fantastic just to keep us up with uh, what's going on in the world of golf. And uh, they're not exempt for all these other other things either, to be fair. A lot of pressure involved on the individual's Involved in that, so yeah, um, really good. And of course, seven o'clock on Saturday mornings. Tee it up with Phil, why don't you? I do. Uh, it's nine forty-eight. Uh, before ten o'clock, I shall give you uh, my multi-suggestion for the day and lament a woeful performance yesterday, badly let down by sporting teams around the world. But it's uh, a good opportunity to uh, have a look at uh, these T uh, Twenty squads and these touring squads. One of the first things I noticed, John, that when you're organising tours overseas these days, you don't have a lot of venues involved. So when they go to Bangladesh, all five T20s are at Dhaka. and uh, Pakistan, all three one-day internationals are at Royal Pindi. That's the home of Shahbakta, the Royal Pindi Express. Uh, and the five T20s are all in Lahore. So, you know, the logistics of having to, to get out of bubbles and into bubbles, etc., and, and travelling through countries who have had COVID problems, there's no doubt about it, uh, is taken away with these solo venues. But... The, so that's, that's probably one of the small upsides of the whole deal. Uh, but I, I look at the, the T20 World Cup squad um, in particular. Uh, I don't expect the Test squad to India to be any different than the one that went to England and won the World Test Championship. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, because of the personnel involved there, the form that they're in. Uh, and, uh, of course, very important if you can pick up a win against India in India. Whew, how good would that be? Uh, right, those T20 squads uh, for the World Cup. Uh, Kane Williamson, captain, Astle, Bolt, Chapman, mark that one down, Conway, Ferguson, Guptill, Jamison, Mitchell, uh, Nisham, Phillips, Mitchell, Santner, Seifert, Sodi, Southey. So obviously when they look at Colin de Grandholm, they put him in a bracket with the likes of uh, Daryl Mitchell and Jimmy Nisham and decided that uh, three into two won't go, so they've got that, that base pretty well covered. But <coughs> I'd quite like to see Colin de Grandholm in there, just that X factor, that hitting the ball out of the ground factor. You cannot deny uh, Tim Seifert, as I said before, uh, I think he's the lucky one there because I think he's surplus, slightly surplus to requirements uh, when you've got wicketkeepers who are as capable as Conway and Glenn Phillips. Uh, I know you've got a theory about an, an older player you would like to see back in there. Yeah, I just think that, you know, we're so quick to move on from Ross Taylor in the T20s. It's, it seems like he's had a rough deal over the last wee while. He's been used as a floater 
in the order coming in, in anywhere from like five to seven uh, with about three overs to go. And I don't think they've used Ross Taylor's strengths. And when I look at this squad, I see a guy like Mark Chapman, uh, who's a good young player. But when you go to World Cups and massive events, you go with experience like they did with Grant Elliott in 2015. A lot of people said he shouldn't have been in that World Cup squad. He ends up hitting the winning six against South Africa in the semi-final. I just think that they just put a line through Ross Taylor way too early and that you still need experience when you go to massive events like this. I know uh, Mark Chapman rolls the arm over a little bit, bit of left arm spin. Um, they've got Glenn Phillips who can roll the arm over as well. They've got about five spinners in this squad, but I just think there's room for a guy like Ross Taylor at these massive events, but instead um, he's going to be home all winter, which I guess is good for his wife, he can help out with the kids and he'll go to that Indian test match, but it just seems like a guy with that experience and class, I would have liked to have seen him there, Smithy. Uh, He's probably got a ride on mower to handle those lawns at the weekends, but John, you should give him your address, because with a sermon like that, uh, he probably said you a good bottle of red wine, uh, sticking up for him like... I, I, look, I'd, I wouldn't, if I, if I thought Kane Williamson was marginal or might have an issue there, uh, I'd like Ross Taylor in there because I think you need an old head around about those key batting positions. But uh, they've gone past him uh, so he can focus on uh, 50 over cricket and particularly on test match cricket. So, OK, um, yeah, I, I, get you, I get where you're coming from there, but I, I can see that uh, his name just wasn't in, in the hat when it came to that particular squad. Um, and the bowling looks after itself, doesn't it, really? Um, Salvi uh, with uh, Jamison, uh, with uh, a bit of speed from Ferguson, uh, who uh, is really becoming very, very good. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, you, you've, you've got the all-rounders co- covered with Mitchell and Nisham uh, and um, Mitchell Santner, of course. So, uh, you know, uh, it, to me, it's like most New Zealand cricket sides that are picked these days. They look pretty good because we've got a hell of a lot of depth. And that they're well performed, unlike me, John, with my multi. So coming on, uh, coming up uh, very shortly, is today's answer to your financial problems not the stumps to behind the mic. You're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Used to be one of my favourite songs, that, The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. It's uh, increasingly become one of my least favourites. The reason why, uh, my multis are not going too good. Yesterday, the Galaxy blew a 1-0 lead to draw with the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, so no there. Uh, Melbourne beat the West Coast in the AFL. Yeah, that wasn't a big margin either on the betting side of it. It should have been really comfortable. But well, this is the one, you know when you lose but you enjoy losing? Uh, this is the one that pops up on my mind here, John. Australia to beat Bangladesh a buck 47. They got rolled for 62. They got beaten in the series 4-1. They are in a bit of a mess, to be fair. They yeah. are in a serious mess, uh, their white ball form of cricket at the moment, particularly T20 cricket. Without Mitch Marsh in the series, the two series they've had against the West Indies and Bangladesh, they would have been even more embarrassed. So uh, they'll be quite glad they're going into quarantine I think in Australia so just let the dust settle a little yeah, bit. Yeah they'll be they'll be and, glad uh, that um, the Olympians did so well too um, so they can kind of be forgotten about Smithy. Yeah they won't want to drink as much as uh, the Sevens guys or the rowing eight though because he wouldn't want another headline after playing like that. Right let's get on to today's possibility for you. Uh, right women's tennis ATP in Montreal Madison Keys will beat Marino for a buck 21. 
uh, and two baseball games, which are, oh, I always shudder when I even think about them. But not many options today, so we'll have a crack at baseball and, and look on the positive side. The White Sox, Chicago White Sox, they will beat the Twins at a buck 41. And uh, also the, the Padres, San Diego Padres, will beat the Miami Marlins at a buck 38. Uh, not a great return, just $2.35. Uh, so I'm hopeful of that one coming through. After the break, we have got Brett Cameron, of course, uh, uh, who was an All Black. He wants to be an All Black again, and he's made the move to Palmerston North to try and become uh, another All Black. Uh, and also, uh, we'll be talking to um, Richard Nola and to Mark Ginty, cricket writer of note, uh, in our panel. Louis Herman Watt, Brendan Popperwell. Uh, that's all before 11 o'clock. And don't forget, uh, a little later than that, David Campisi. Yeah, Campo. He's going to join us with his thoughts about Bledisloe Cup 1 and looking forward to Bledisloe Cup 2. CNZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. It's 10.03 free here on SENZ, just trying to get hold of uh, Brett Cameron uh, on the blower. He's not answering his mobile at the moment, but hopefully he will very shortly. Uh, Laurent Marcel Jacobs is in the news, and uh, he's Italy's double Olympic champion, of course. Uh, he insisted he is not bothered by suspicions of doping raised by the media, and that hard work is to thank for his record-breaking exploits in Tokyo. He became the first Italian, of course, to win the 100 metres gold, setting a European record time of 9.80 seconds. Gee, that's quick. And was part of his country's triumphant uh, 4 by 100 metre relay team as well, knocking over the favoured uh, Americans, the Jamaicans, uh, not even in sight really. It was just when it came to the sprint, it was just Italia, Italians all the way. You go to the Azzurri. Uh, 26 years of age, this fellow is, 26 years of age. Um, and, and he said, these controversies do not affect me. I know I got here by making many sacrifices. I have been through disappointments and defeats, but I always got back up and rolled my sleeves up. If I have reached this point, it is only thanks to hard work they can write what they want. So it's a little bit um, revealing, but depressing too. Uh, Always when there's a surprise result by that kind of thing at the Olympics, John, uh, people tend to start asking questions rather than saying, hell, that was well done. Uh, and I suppose, I suppose it stems from the, the days of, um, of Lance Armstrong and, you know, all those, the doping and other forms of sport as well. So it's a shame. It really is. A, they had, to be fair, I go back as far, what, Ben Johnson? Uh, I go back as, uh, quite a long way in the 100-metre sprints and look at some of those performances. And uh, mm, I suppose you do just raise your eyebrows a bit every now and then. Absolutely, especially during the 80s when it was pretty rampant across a lot of countries. Um, and, yeah, I guess when you see an Italian winning the 100 metres, you instantly think, well, what's going on here? Um, I, I always said that if Usain Bolt it had come out that he'd been doping, then I just that would do to me with athletics what Lance Armstrong did to me with cycling. I'd just have to tap out because, you know, you, you, you want to trust the Olympics, Smithy? You know, it's, um, mm. you really do. Um, and I know these Olympics were different. Uh, it was hard to kind of test athletes. I think a lot of athletes were testing themselves and handing in uh, their samples. So I wouldn't be surprised, let's put it this way, uh, if our Italian friend got done for doping, Lamont Marcel Jacobs, but I'm hoping not, because he would be an absolute hero in Italy at the moment. I can't believe he won gold for a start, and then they won the 4x100 
relay. Just uh, incredible stuff. But yeah, the, the suspicion of doping definitely does hang over the Olympics these days, that's for sure. Yeah, it does. It does. It really does. And it's a sad, sad state of affairs. Still waiting for uh, Brett Cameron. Hopefully uh, I can tell you about birthdays today. All these little snippets come in handy when you've got a bit of a gap to fill. Uh, Lord uh, Baron Porritt, Colonel Arthur Espy Porritt, was born uh, on this day back in 1900. Fantastic. Lived to the age of 94. New Zealand physician, military surgeon, statesman and athlete. He won a bronze medal at the 1924 Summer Olympics and the 100-metre sprint, of all things, uh, and he was drug-free. He served as the 11th Governor-General of New Zealand from 1967 to 1972 Porritt Stadium uh, after uh, Baron Porritt, as he is, uh, was named later in life. Morris Brownlee, how about the Brownlee brothers? Brownlee represented Hawke's Bay at provincial level, was a member of the New Zealand national team, the All Blacks from 22 to 28. He played 61 matches for New Zealand, a record uh, for all All Black appearances that stood until surpassed by Kevin Skinner, the enforcer, in 1956. Uh, Rebecca Scown. Rebecca Scown, of course, uh, partnered with Juliet Haig, now Juliet Drysdale. She won the bronze medal in the women's coxless pair at the 2012 Summer Olympics, born 1983, Rebecca Scown. And the legendary great Valerie Young, born in 1937, competed at the 1958, 62, 66, and 74 Commonwealth Games and won seven medals in the shot put and discus throw. So there you have it uh, in terms of birthdays today. Uh, and also today in history, we talked about this, we just we joked about it a wee bit with Izzy, but uh, All Blacks, uh, Josh Cronfeld and Jeff Wilson signed contracts with the New Zealand Rugby Union, heralding the victory of, of Rupert Murdoch over Kerry Packer in a battle of, for the rights to televise professional rugby. The announcement of the Murdoch-backed professionalism of Southern Hemisphere rugby on the 23rd of June 1995 was the latest salvo in a war between the two Australian media magnets. Enraged by Murdoch's News Corporation attempt to uh, take over world rugby, Packer backed the World Rugby Corporation, which lobbied the world's best players to join a global competition. Uh, in the end, uh, due to the efforts of uh, Jock Hobbs, remember uh, the, the late Jock Hobbs and Brian Lahore, um, sadly both no longer with us. Uh, they went and argued New Zealand Rugby Football Union's case uh, and the upshot really was that uh, Tim Gavin and Jason Little signed with Australian Rugby um, and uh, Jeff Wilson and Josh Cronfeld signed with the All Blacks. So that was fantastic. And uh, that was really, on August 27th, the International Rugby Board declared the previously amateur game open for all. Brett Cameron has uh, joined us uh, on the line this morning. Good morning to you, Brett. Uh, what a start uh, for the Turbos. What a start for Brett Cameron. 29 points and a terrific win over Counties Manukau. You could not be happier down there in Palmerston North. Good day, Smithy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always good to get that, that first win out of the way early. And um, the boys were pretty stoked. So um, it was good to get that one and, and see how much it meant to the team. So last year wasn't good. Uh, you know, uh, it was a poor performance by Manawatu's proud standards overall. So uh, just as you look to get into the season, what, what have your goals been? Have they, have they been lofty goals or, you know, one week at a time, small steps? Um, yeah, a bit of both. Um, we've got a, a very new squad, lots of boys from all around the show. So everyone's sort of looking to add to the jersey and there's a real... Um, feeling of sort of bringing that pride back into the jersey this year. So 
um, yeah, we're definitely looking and, and aiming for, for the top of that championship this year. But um, like you say, it's, it's one week at a time and we've got some big challenges coming up. So, um, yeah, that's how we're, how we're going at the moment. You made a decision to uh, go from Canterbury to Manawa too. If I look over the history of New Zealand rugby in the last 10 years, usually that decision is to go in the other re- direction to the powerhouse that is Canterbury rugby. So, uh, one, was it easy to make that decision uh, and why did you make it? Um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, to be honest. Um, I, I love my time down at Canterbury. Obviously, it's, a, it's an awesome place to be and... Um, around quality players and coaching and the environment's awesome so um, I loved it there and it was just really um, looking at, at where I can get some decent game time and and I guess push myself and challenge myself um, as a 10 and the opportunity sort of opened up end of last year um, talking with the coaches at Manu too so uh, it took a bit of, a bit of thinking and um, yeah, in the, in the end, it just felt, it felt like the right move, and, and I was ready for a bit of a change. So, you know, you've had the taste of all-black rugby. Uh, you've been in the environment. Uh, just, is that hunger still burned deeply within you? And that's, is that one of the reasons you, you, you made that move, to get more uh, rugby and exposure? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess you, you, you sort of have those, um, days when you're not playing for a while where it seems like a long way away but that hunger's definitely still there and um, I really just wanted to to try and make a move where I could push for some some good minutes and and I guess initially look for a, a super spot somewhere where I can just get some consistency and, and sort of push for a starting spot that was the goal um, with making the move What's the vibe like, uh, the comparison of the vibe between playing for uh, or 2, living in Palmerston North, uh, living in Christchurch, playing for Canterbury and, and you know, being around the Crusaders as well. So what's the difference in vibe that you found initially? Um, yeah, initially it, it was sort of a, a big change and it's the, it's the first one I've had. I've been down at Canterbury ever since um, leaving school, so I, I knew that it was going to be a lot different, but... Um, no, it's an awesome vibe here at the moment. Like I said, with all of the new boys, everyone's really excited and and sort of everyone's just able to be themselves and add their own sort of flavour to the team. So it's been a really enjoyable first um, few weeks and um, it's a pretty nice and relaxed environment so the boys have a lot of fun. Um, but everyone's um, really switched on and, and ready for big things this year. So, you know, even, even now, even though you've achieved, the, you know, an all-black jersey, an all-black status, that, who are the players you, you sort of look to? and Who have been the, the people that you work with to try and develop your game? That, and who are you going to work with, you know, now you're in Palmerston North? Um, well, obviously working um, with Richie was awesome. Um, he's, he's world-class and just the way he goes about his week, it was awesome just to sort of be um, by his side. Um, for a few years and, and just see sort of why he performs the way he does. Um, the work he puts on and his preparation is um, pretty unreal. So to sort of learn how to like build my week and, and prepare just to be able to go out and play was, uh, I think it's been a massive growth for me. So just putting that into practice um, this year is what I'm really looking forward to and 
Um, we've got some some experienced boys here um, with uh, Nehi Munaskata. He's helping out coaching and still sort of running around at training. So he's got some great ideas as well as uh, Boosie as well. Um, he's help, helping the coaches. So it's all just to sort of pick their brains and we sit around together and have um, lots of chats throughout the day, um, ways we can get better and keep growing the team. Talking to Brett Cameron uh, this morning here, it's uh, 10.14 on SENZ. Brett has uh, made the move from Canterbury to play for the Manor Tur- Turbos and of course they had uh, a rollicking start beating counties at Manukau over the weekend. Wasn't a surprise to me, it might have been a surprise to some uh, because I've uh, lived in Palmerston North, I know the feeling, and particularly you know around the Shield area there, there was nothing stronger in New Zealand rugby. What are the areas uh, that Brett Cameron is looking at working on individually in your own game when you do self-analysis? Um, initially, it's just sort of my decision-making, I guess, and um, this year I've sort of set the challenge to, um, to really step up and be a leader and... Um, I'm really enjoying that so far, being able to drive our attack and and throw my ideas and just sort of being that guy that that the team can look to um, in tough situations and um, just having solutions for the team. So at the moment, I'm sort of just looking at at my decision making um, throughout the game and, and I guess why why we're making those decisions um, as a ten and as a game driver. What kind of role um, do you have defensively then? Um, because uh, defence, I think, is, is probably as big a factor, if not the m- most dominating factor of rugby these days because of, of defensive lines, etc., and speed out of defence. Uh, what, what role does a traditional number 10 have in, in those areas now? Um, yeah, everyone sort of has their own wee group, so obviously we're, we're in charge of a lot of the attack stuff, so we sort of just let those boys... Um, on the D group, take care of that and and do what we're told, I guess. But it, it, yeah, like you say, it's massive um, for us. The big thing is just really owning our channel. It, it's somewhere where you know every team sort of looks to go to down that transition and and find some gain line through nine and ten. So um, just being really tough in that transition and and just nailing my job there um, to set the boys up for for phases after that. Well, you're not out of Christchurch for very long because you're back this weekend and, of course, they copped a, a loss at Eden Park on last Sunday. Uh, so this is a, a challenge, a crossover game for you. Uh, so this will test you and uh, you'll, you'll probably find out where you're at very quickly. Yeah, definitely. Um, we talked about, you know, it's a different base this week and, and they'll be hurting it, you know, a massive game that they look forward to as those Auckland games, so... Um, no doubt they'll be they'll be firing this week. So uh, the boys have played Canterbury um, in previous years and and know what it's all about. So um, the belief there, obviously, um, had a couple of wins in the last few years. So um, the boys are confident. Um, we know we've we've really got to be on um, physically and and throughout the whole 80 minutes. Um, they're a clinical side and and they'll bring that this weekend. So the next step after after this, of course, is, is Super Rugby. Where are you at with that? I mean, the ideal for you, surely, would be to be um, a general, a, a 10, a starting 10, in a, in a Super franchise. That 
that that would be, uh, I guess, the product of, of what you're doing in Palmerston North. So what are your expectations there, Brett? Um, I've actually just signed um, a, a deal in Japan for uh, Kamaishi for next year for uh, next season um, until the end of May. Um, it was a really tough decision for me that playing Super Rugby was a massive driver the last um, couple of years and initially when I moved up here um, so it was really tough for me to leave um, but just sort of looking around at the first fives and and how the teams are shaping up at the moment it was it was going to be tough to get a spot I guess I wasn't um, I just wanted to take it into my own hands instead of uh, waiting around till the till the end of the season but um Coming back next year and playing NPC um, is still a massive goal for me to just get some consistency and um, look to get back in the, in the Super Rugby match after that. Hey, look, uh, thanks for talking to us, uh, Brett. It sounds like you've got, uh, well, the next seven or eight months of your, of your rugby career or maybe 12 months mapped out uh, ahead of you. Let's, let's just hope you stay injury-free, um, you know, and, and things pan out for you in the right direction and... Wish you all the best, not just uh, with the future, but uh, the immediate future. Canterbury uh, at the weekend against the Manawatu Turbos. Look forward to a major upset down there, and wouldn't you just enjoy that with your mates? <laughs> yeah, um, I'd be lying if I, um, if I said that wouldn't be pretty satisfying. Um, but no, cheers, Smithy. I appreciate it. All good. Thanks very much for your, uh, your thoughts there, Brett, and uh, go well. Um, Brett Cameron there from the Manawatu turbos. Uh, so the panel coming up very shortly. Uh, we have got Richard Nola and we have uh, got Mark Genty with us. Uh, some guy just texted me and said, Smithy, do some research. I'll read out a lot of texts. Do some research. Brett signed in Japan. And he's already mentioned in the interview that the move to Manawatu would hopefully sue for contract in the future. Yes, I know that. I know that. But I needed to know the details. I wanted him to, him to say that. Um, you know, you, you give these guys an opportunity uh, sorry, but if my skills and my interviewing skills aren't to your standard, then uh, keep texting in, and uh, I'll take your advice. I'm sure I will. Uh, okay, it's 10.19. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ten twenty-five here on SENZ uh, mornings with uh, Ian Smith, and uh, one of uh, my favourite segments of the show is the panel. And this morning, uh, two esteemed gentlemen from the media join us. Uh, Richard Nola returns, but making a de- debut for us uh, is Mark Ginty. Both stuff colleagues, of course, and Mark Ginty specialising a lot in the cricket side of things uh, over a long period of time now. Uh, morning to you both, uh, Mark. Uh, interesting. Naming multi-squads these days, uh, the New Zealand selectors. Very busy boys. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Um, yeah, it's a lot to get your head around this morning with those announcements. Um, yeah, it's hard to know what to make of it all, but um, certainly a couple of newcomers, Ben Sears and Cole McConkie, getting their chance in, uh, in Bangladesh or Pakistan or both. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a real, real struggle, isn't it, for them having to shuffle their resources and give people rests and release players for IPL and things like that. So it'll be uh, interesting how it all plays out. We've had a bit of reaction to uh, the teams coming in, uh, and particularly the T20 World Squad. Uh, the, in the name, a lot of people are saying, uh, 
Wes Collin de Grandholm. Is, is, was that a, a, a semblance of a surprise to you that, that an all-rounder with devastating power might not make the cut there? No, it wasn't a surprise to me. I think Finn Allen being left out was more of a surprise. Um, but, but de Grandholm, obviously we know how destructive he is, how you know, how he can win a game, change a game. But I, I think his bowling, particularly in the T20 game, has, has been really collared by uh, various batsmen. And he you know, had that injury plagued last summer as well. And it was pretty clear in the T20 team last summer that, um, that Daryl Mitchell had gone past him. I mean, his bowling's not... You know, not not foolproof either, but he's he's adding probably a bit more as an all rounder than De Grandholm. So, um, you know, people might say he's hard done by. I, I don't know. I think he's he's still got that destructive power of the bat, and he has been going well in England, um, mainly with the bat. Um, and he was used as a batsman in that in that uh, series a couple of years ago against India at number five. So, uh, yeah, I, not a, not a biggie for me. I mean, Finn Allen probably deserved deserved a crack, but I think that, that signals to me that Devin Conway may be used as an opener potentially. Um, Allen's, yeah, I mean, he's just, just taken the you know the 2020 world by storm, but um, perhaps may have come up slightly soon for him. Oh, interesting, yeah. I, I, I take your point there too. Uh, speaking of changes, good morning to you, Richard Nola. Uh, after that all-plack performance uh, at Eden Park and uh, Bledisloe Cup 1, uh, are you forecasting anything major in terms of changes uh, for Bledisloe Cup 2 from Ian Foster's group? No, no, I'm not. Uh, good morning, guys. No, I think he'll stick with, with what he's got there. Um, he will definitely expect improvements. Uh, he'll expect more punch off his bench. Probably a bit more on that later. But uh, firstly, with his starting 15, no, he, he'll stick with what he's got, I imagine. I'd be very surprised if he ditches anyone after just that first game um, probably wants a bit more value. I, I would have thought out of his uh, back row, perhaps Adi Sevilla with his ball carrying. I think that was one thing we want out of Sevilla as a number eight. I mean, clearly we know where the hell good he can be as a feature at number seven and, you know, in mobile he is. But I just thought Sevilla perhaps didn't get the chance to get into the game, get his hands in the ball as much as we'd like to have seen with that league drive, just creating that momentum, you know, bending defensive lines and, and, and giving the All Blacks some go forward. Um, and I, I thought Akira Yawani did enough at, at six. Um, you know, what we all want to see do is, is Kira is really is getting his hands dirty and getting stuck into the tight stuff first. And I thought he did enough. And I think if he gets the chance to, to carry a bit more and, and really be a bit more mobile and, you know, and work with Puffy Elite, they'll go all right. So, no, I don't think so, and I don't think with the back line either. I, I'm, you know, probably the midfield is going to be a wee bit of a work in progress. Everyone had their eye on that, and Havili, probably a wee bit of a shaky start when he got stripped of that ball when he was in possession in the opening minutes. He, he got better and better, and I think if that midfield can be a bit more direct with their attack, um, you know, Havili and Leonard Brown, if they can straighten up the attack a bit more and just get over the advantage line quicker and get the Aussies on the back foot and retain possession for phases and retain discipline. And that is right across the board. What was it, 18 penalties in the end that they gave up, at least? Um, so, yeah, take it as a whole, no, I don't, I don't think you'll make changes at all. I, I don't think anyone deserves to be punished, and I know they don't even use that word these days, and that's fair, but when you do drop players, that's essentially what you're doing. And off the back of that first game, no, uh, but he will expect vast improvements in a number of areas and starting, you know, first with discipline because how the All Blacks didn't get yellow carded in that final five to ten minutes is beyond me. Um, 
And if I was Dave Rennie, I'd have been ropeable uh, at the end of that game. You know, the Wallabies had got within striking distance, and that should have been against 14 men towards the end. So, yeah, plenty for Ian Foster to work on, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Uh, and can I tell you, uh, I did speak to uh, Dave Rennie afterwards, and Dave Rennie has got a very cool exterior most of the time, but I sensed uh, <laughs> the, the fact of the matter was that he was, I think he quoted it, you know, it, it, something along the lines of, you know, we've got to look into that. Um, and so I don't know whether they can or what they can do about it because it's history now, but they won't want it to happen again. Fellas, please stay with us. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Part two of the panel this morning, Richard Nola, of course, from the press and stuff, and uh, Mark Ginty out of Wellington, uh, with stuff also, Mark Ginty. Um, I asked, uh, well, I gave you a little bit of a prelim before the news. Uh, is Ian Foster under pressure? We know that, uh, for all intents and purposes, he hadn't uh, been extended out, or has he? Uh, uh, maybe I'm behind the times there. Is he under pressure? Oh, I think he is, certainly. I mean, the fact that he's, you know, his contract's up and it hasn't been extended is... is Certainly, Simon. They want to see the All Blacks getting back to where they were, which is a, you know the dominant team in the world, and they're certainly not at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, and obviously that last ten minutes or so at Eden Park just just heightens the questions more. I, you know, I think people want to see a, a consistent selection and pick his top team and um, and stick with it and, and develop a bit of consistency, but also the, the you know the physicality that we were talking about. Richard was mentioning before that they want the All Blacks to be muscling up against against you know not the Wallabies are probably not not the best example but but the South Africans and and you know the Northern Hemisphere sides later on so um, certainly he has um, the microscopes on and um, you know he may well have the faith in New Zealand rugby but at the moment there's still still those questions that need to be answered and you know right through the season I think South Africa is probably going to cause the greatest um, you know the greatest test and. Um, you know, the acid test for him and, and particularly those forwards and, and his his own, uh, you know, tactics and, and, and power over the side. Do you see, uh, Richard Nola, do you see any fragility? I mean, we so, seem so solid and, and staunch and, and all those other, you know, tough sort of, sort of words about uh, Sir Steve Hansen. Do, do you see any fragility about the top at the moment? You, you're t- in terms of the coaches, you're saying they're in? I, yes. Yes, I am, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not sure of fragility. Um, I'm, I'm, I thought um, Mark was bang on. Look, you know, I know there's been talk. I know Steve Henson has come out publicly a couple of weeks ago and said, look, uh, reappoint Ian Foster and his crew now so they can map out a path towards the 2023 World Cup. Um, and in all due respect to Steve, um, I disagree. And good on him for sticking with his mate and showing some loyalty. But look, um, New Zealand rugby, to me, it's going to be fascinating how New Zealand rugby board, this is a massive call for them. And I'm not seeing any fragility as such, but they can't go appointing these guys without, and I'm talking about these coaches that were Ian Foster, they can't appoint him until he's proved himself against the world champion Springbok side. Now, any decision before that, there would be an uproar here among the public, rugby public, you would expect, because I know year last year was very difficult under COVID, and I fully understand that everyone, um, you know, that everything was disrupted for the All Blacks, and so it was a difficult year, and they retained the British World Cup, and they, they won that truncated competition, the Tri-Nations. But this is the acid test. The All Blacks, 
have got to retain the Bledisloe Cup, and we want to see them prove themselves against the Springboks. For me, that's the litmus test. Um, if they don't, I can't see what the explanation is going to be for the New Zealand Rugby Board when they come to either reappointing or throwing a job open again, how they could say to Ian Foster, look, you're going to keep your job. They they have to prove themselves this year. It's massive. Um, and I know that, you know, that, that Foster's, his allies will say, well, look, he needs to be able to plan ahead now. He needs to get things going. But if they appointed a new coach, whoever it may be, um, at the end of the year or before the Northern Tour, that is a long time. It's still a couple of years almost before the next World Cup. Now, surely that's going to be enough time for a new coach to bed in, to get the systems in. He'd already have the base of players. He'd have plenty to work from, and, and it can be done. Um, and it sounds harsh, and I know probably you know, Foster and Co. will say, well, no, no, we, we see it a different way, and I can understand that. But New Zealand rugby has some big calls to make, and I, my understanding is there was, uh, after the annual meeting, the board did meet with Ian Foster uh, and just, told them how things stood, but that I'm, I'm not certain when exactly they've said they'll make a decision or what the exact KPIs that he has to hit are going to be. But I imagine for everyone, it's obvious, isn't it? South Africa, they're the team that you have to beat. They're the world champions. We haven't met them since uh, that opening pool game in Japan in Yokohama at the World Cup. Um, so it sets things up nicely, and um, there's plenty to do, I'd suggest, Um and the All Blacks may feel, look, we are on the right track, and that's great. But we have to wait until those games against South Africa before any decisions made. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. New Zealand rugby could turn around and spring a surprise. But I'd be highly, I'd be, I'd be shocked if they did. Um, they've got a new chairman of the board, obviously, in Stuart Mitchell. I don't know if that anyway has any influence on anything that'll happen. But um, you would think a strong, strong head, a strong hand at the top. Uh, people who are going to have to make tough decisions. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't want to see anything rushed. To put it that way. Mark Ginty, just changing the subject a little bit towards the Olympics and news this morning coming through on stuff actually, and some really interesting facts and figures there uh, about the grant system and just how generous uh, high performance sport New Zealand are in terms of our athletes compared to some of the powerhouses around the world. I, I found that quite interesting. Do you do you think our grant system is is fair? Well, yeah, it seems it has been that way for a little while. I did a bit of reading back, and, and that, that sixty thousand figure for for a gold medal, um, assuming you carry on into your next campaign, it's basically a salary for your for the athletes to to continue their good work. That sixty thousand figure's been the same, I believe, for another last couple of Olympics. So inflation hasn't been uh, taken into account there. But um, oh, I think, look, I I think for everyone who sat and watched the. The games, and I mean, I was I was into it. You know, I loved watching it for two weeks and, and covering it from afar. But um, you know, some of those moments were just just fantastic. Um, you know, New Zealand sporting moments, the gold medals, and and why shouldn't they be? Why shouldn't they be uh, rewarded? I, I I'm a little surprised. It's sort of I asked about corporate backing and things like that yesterday in terms of you know the bonuses and you know rewards for medals and um, that, that the corporate backing apparently is, is put more into the planning and the preparation rather than just a, a one-off cash payment I think there was a, a, a great story about um, the Filipino weightlifter who was given a million dollars in two houses and free flights for life for, for winning their first gold so it, it certainly changes from country to country and, and we've seen Australia is sort of surprisingly stingy almost on that front with only 20,000 per gold medal so it, it, it varies a lot. I, I think it's probably about right. I, I, maybe people might argue that 
taxpayer money could be better spent um, elsewhere on, on infrastructure and things like that. But I, I think 60000 for a for a gold medal is, is, is reasonable. And uh, I don't know if too many people would quibble if, if that was bumped up a little bit too. Um, and it's, it is a, it's basically a grant. It's not a, you know, a cash prize or anything. It's for them to, to continue on and, and prepare and try and emulate their feats at the next Olympics. So um, fair play, I say. Yep, fair play, I do too. And I say thank you very much to both you guys. Uh, Mark Ginty there and, and Richard Nola, of course, with their views on uh, rugby, cricket and the Olympics this morning. We'll have another panel tomorrow. Thank you very much, uh, fellas, for joining us. 8833 is our text number, uh, 0800 150 811, the phone number. Uh, we'll read your texts out uh, after uh, this break. And uh, I've got a couple of interesting ones to start with. Hey, John. Yeah, a couple of interesting ones. The mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Don't forget, coming after 11 o'clock is uh, an interview with uh, Wallaby great David Campisi. Always a very opinionated man, and uh, he'll have some theories about what he saw over the weekend and what he hopes to see next weekend in Bledisloe Cup 2. Smitty, don't listen to that clown texting in. Love every minute of listening to you, mate. Cheers, Willie from Pegasus. Well... Uh, I'm a little bit more thick skin than that. Willie, thanks for your support. People used to pay 30 bucks to get into abuse me years ago, so uh, I'm really not that worried about a couple of texts, to be fair. But I love the feedback, and a very familiar number actually has uh, texted in and said, uh, in T20, I think Colin is best used up the order. Takes time to get uh, in, especially in the UAE, and we've got that uh, covered. So not a surprise. And yep, uh, Mark Ginty explained that uh, to us as well. Thanks very much for your two texts this morning. Uh, Smithy, we all know that Nola is in Scott Robertson camp. Let's hope uh, they keep Fozzie in. Cheers, that's Ken. Uh, and it wouldn't be a morning without Paddy and Lulu. If Foster drops a test, Smithy, he'll be under the pump. Love the show. Okay, uh, John Day, bring you in here as well. Uh, keep those texts uh, coming in. Uh, you don't. Uh, what about the Ian Foster scenario for you? You, you feel he's um, he's okay? Cool, but what if what if he lost this one? What if he lost on Saturday? What would you what would New Zealand be saying Monday morning? Yeah, oh, mate, you'd, we haven't lost at Eden Park since 1994. You don't want to be that guy. He's already the guy who lost to Argentina for the first time ever. He's only won 50% of his test matches last year. You know, uh, I want Ian Foster to do well. I'm not anti Ian Foster, but he's yet to put a line in the sand. He's yet to make a marker. He had one good test match last year against the Wallabies, but then lost the week after that, resting and rotating his players. So I, I'm with Nola. I don't want to see many changes this week, and I want to see a much-improved performance because Ian Foster and the All Blacks need to put a stake in the ground because he's running out of time, Smithy. OK, so uh, Scott Robertson's name was just mentioned uh, in the text from Ken, uh, and he re-signed, didn't he? He re-signed. Is that, a, is, is that an insurance policy, or is that a, a mutually beneficial deal from both parties uh, to a large degree? Yeah, I think you've nailed it there. Um, mutually beneficial. Keeps Razor in a job. He doesn't want to go overseas yet. He's a young man in terms of coaching. Uh, he can go overseas for the rest of his life. But now is the moment for him. He knows if Ian Foster has another bad season, he's into that job straight away for next season. And if he's not, he just takes the Crusaders through uh, to the next year and keeps on surfing in Sumner. So not a bad gig for for Razor, uh, but there just seems to be, I don't know whether I'm surrounded by Crusaders fans or not, there seems to be the public support behind Razor rather than Ian Foster, and Ian Foster seems to need to prove himself, and he hasn't done that yet. Yeah, a lot of coaches uh, have got that, that X factor when it comes to uh, likability from the public. You know, they, whatever happens, they'll get extra sympathy along the way. 
Uh, and there, you know, there have been those, but it is the toughest job in New Zealand sport. Perhaps it's uh, the, the most the most looked at and most reviewed job in New Zealand. Full stop. Uh, when it comes for that, uh, look, we've got uh, Louis Herman Watt, who's always opinionated, coming up courtesy of loveracing.nz, and we'll be visiting Brendan Popperwell representing the TAB this morning, um, and they'll have um, uh, maybe a tip or two for us. Uh, they've got nothing else to do. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Love it, loveracing.nz. Louis Herman Watt is in the seat this morning. This is probably a question that goes deeper than a couple of minutes, Louis. Oh, dear. uh, I've often thought... Here we go. Uh, often thought, can New Zealand, uh, when when we hear about them struggling financially and getting things in place, etc., for racing, how, can we sustain three forms of racing? <laughs> I, I've often wondered about that. Is that a deep, <laughs> too deep for a two-minute segment? Well, um, no. The answer is yes, we can. Yeah, of course we can. A hundred percent, we can. Thoroughbreds, harness racing, greyhound racing all have their massive advocates and all have their moments. It's about efficiency, right? And it's about directing eyeballs and and cash flow to the places that matter at the right times of year. I think there's a lot of inefficiencies with the calendars. I think there's a lot of inefficiencies with the way we cover the sports. and Well, actually, less so cover a lot of inefficiencies by the way the sports have been promoted, the codes have been promoted. And I think there's a lot of inefficiency by how they've worked together over the last wee while. But that's all changing slowly because they can't hang each other out to dry because eventually they will dry up. That's probably my on-the-fence-ish answer in that amount of time, Smithy. But I think moving forward there, 100% is room for all of them and including, actually, a subculture of thoroughbred racing, jumps racing. Yesterday we had a, a quick chat about it and then I left and I found this article and I don't know if it was Mickey G from the Herald or written by one of the racing desk people. Tally Ho Twinkle Toe, which won and brained them in the weekend, it's going to go into the Grand National Steeplechase favourites, probably the shortest price favourite ever this Saturday. Sean Phelan that rode this horse, who's a superb, superb jumps jockey, said that he might be the best jumps horse that we've produced in the last 50 years. That's a that's a cool, Smithy. That's knee-jerk. That's knee-jerk. Has, how, time, how many times has been, he been over the hill at Ellerslie? Uh, Tallyo Twinkle Toes. Uh, oh, Tallyo Twinkle Toes. I was thinking Sean Phelan. Well, Sean Phelan's won a lot of... He, I mean, he's won it three times, so he does know. He he understands. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a... We get... Like, you must battle with us all the time. Recency bias. As someone that understands sports history as well as you do, you must battle with recency bias on a daily basis with, you know, young folk like John Day just coming at you with, this is the greatest thing, this is the greatest thing. But Sean Phelan does do it. He is does have skin in the game, but that's a pretty loose statement, I am aware. Yeah, it is very loose, a very big statement, and yes, I do deal with recency bias on a daily basis because I have to pick up the pieces of what happens between six and nine every morning. Oh. That's, 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 dealing, that's dealing with recency yeah. bias. I can tell you that, Louis Herman Watt. Well, well yeah, there's that, you know, Brendan McCallum and, and Israel Dagg are very kind of fast and loose kind of characters, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a place for it, Smithy, but there you go. Tallyo Twinkle Toe, is he the greatest jumps horse the last 50 years? Sean Phelan says yes. He'll start very short. Pops will probably be able to tell you how short he'll start coming up in the weekend, but he'll probably just go on and win. I think he's won by an average of 11 lengths the last three starts, so he is great. 
day or night, summer or winter. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Australia has won the Bledisloe Cup for only the fifth time in its history. The Wallabies, only the fourth touring side to win a series on New Zealand soil. And the 86 Wallabies also, the first Australian team to win a three-test series here. Eleven oh three, Advance Australia Fair, and the, the the tones, the wonderful tones of Gordon Bray uh, describing uh, a wonderful time for Australian rugby, and it certainly was. And uh, a man that was very much part of that, uh, David Campisi, legend of, of Australian rugby, one hundred and one Test matches, which is fantastic. It also, of course, means that David Campisi had a lot of battles against the All Blacks over the years. Uh, good morning, David, and thanks for joining us from quarantine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, morning, guys. How are you going? Yeah, we're we're going good. We're you know things pretty much situation normal for us, but um, gee, it must be frustrating for you blokes over there. It really must. Yeah, mate, it is. It's um, unfortunately, you know, you think you've got control of things, and, um, and some people don't really want to listen. Um, but mate, they're humans. You know, everyone thinks differently. We've got different ideas about life, and uh, yeah, we just have to do what we have to do. We've actually just moved up to Queensland because um, <clears throat> obviously Sydney and New South Wales in lockdown for a lot longer, and I want to try and get it to travel a bit and do a couple of test matches in November, and hopefully get across to Perth to watch the uh, the Bledisloe over there as well. Yeah, well, let's hope we're fingers crossed, uh, and you know we sympathise with what's going on over there for you guys. But I guess the upside is we can watch some rugby at the moment, some international rugby involving the All Blacks and the Wallabies. And uh, the way the Wallabies finished in the last fifteen minutes, and the way they competed throughout that Test match by and large, uh, were you encouraged by that display? Yeah, look, it's going to be um, it's going to be difficult. Um, I think that. <laughs> One of the problems, I think, uh, over the last couple of years, that we really haven't stuck to sort of a uh, sort of pattern of play. Um, and I think you can saw last week, you know, we, we needed a couple of uh, players off the bench to come on and, and change the mindset. Uh, the game quickened up. Uh, the game of rugby used to be 15 players, now it's 23. And um, it's, look, it's not easy. Uh, test matches these days, it's... You know, you, you're up against the All Blacks, and you know I played against the All Blacks 29 times, and I think only won eight or nine. So it just shows you how difficult it has been over the years. But um, the encouraging signs were that they started to believe in their ability in that uh, last 20, 30 minutes. But again, you know, you've got to take the All Blacks on from, from the word go, and um, you've just got to back yourselves. One of the probably the things yeah. that disappoints me: we keep on kicking the ball away. You know, we're in the space. We've got players who are very good finishers, but we're not really encouraged to back our, our skills. Um, if you saw Colby for South Africa, he got the ball once and scored an unbelievable try because he was given space. So we haven't done that over years and years. We've lost our flair, the understand the backline play and creating space for our wingers. David, I look at that back line that played the other night, uh, 45 test matches between them going into that, so it is very young. You've got Nick White coming back from injury. Uh, Matt Tamua was on the bench. Uh, Reese Hodge on the bench. There was your experience there from 
the back line. What did, what did you make of them? Uh, defensively, initially, anyway, they were right there uh, and, and very aggressive in the all-black faces. Yeah, look, uh, the defence is... Uh, the game has changed, as you know. Professionalism's changed a lot, uh, especially bringing a lot of rugby league defence coaches into the game. Um, but again, you, if you've got the skill factor and you play a style of rugby that you want to play, Australian backlines have always been, you know, uh, unpredictable. You will normally have two or three players that can create something out of nothing. And I think also that the combinations are, are vital. And that's one thing that, you know, I think we're still struggling to find our best combination. Um, you know, even sometimes in a game, you, you bring a player on with five minutes to go. You know, it, it's very difficult to sort of get into a game, you know, the flow of a game. Um, you know, if you look at last week, you know, the All Blacks uh, took their opportunities. Um, but also, I was very disappointed with, like, the All Blacks' defence. I've never seen it really the way it's been happening over the last couple of years. You know, it's not the same um, rock still defence, you know, they the get up in your face, you know, for 80 minutes. Uh, they, they slackened off a bit as well, but, you know, you've got to give credit to the Wallabies. They, they, they never give up. And that's one good aspect I think we're looking forward to this week is that, you know, you can miss a couple of goals one week and next week you might be spot on. It could be the difference of winning and losing the game. Yeah, it was a fine line. You're right there. And uh, uh, Lollis here, who had, was outstanding uh, in terms of kicking in, in the series against France, he was, his ratios were very, very high there. Just couldn't find the recipe uh, the other night. Um, look, holding onto the ball, clearly, uh, clearly a key. Exposing the All Blacks, clearly a key. What about the set-piece side of things? Do you, do you see the same old, same old with the All Blacks there and the Wallabies competing against that? Yeah, mate, the set-pieces are, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a winger. I, I just really don't care what they do as long as they get the ball. You know, it's it's all about uh, the scrum now. The scrums are, it's not a weapon to sort of uh, unleash the back line. It's a, normally a penalty. It's a scrums to get a penalty. They keep the ball in so long that it's uh, sometimes it's, it's very frustrating for the game, um, especially with referees. They're so trigger-happy with, with their whistle. They're always looking for something. Um, but, you know, you know the strengths and weaknesses of both teams and what you've got to do is exploit the weaknesses. And sometimes, you know, uh, the All Blacks are very good at that. I think our younger guys are going to learn that. You know, we have some fantastic players. But, again, it's just the combination-wise. You know, the line-outs were great. You know, in the old days, if you have a problem, throw the ball at number two and catch it. <laughs> really. You know, why try and throw the ball to the back when it's windy? You know, wind, windy Wellington or windy uh, Eden Park, it was last week. Um, when we went over there, you keep it simple, stupid. As long as you've got the ball, the opposition can't score. But every time we do go wide, we, we seem to want to kick it away and put pressure on, but it, it normally backfires on us. So the more we can hold the ball and back ourselves and our confidence, you know, the game will change. David Campisi, uh, you look at the way the game has changed, and one of the one of the really the big ways I believe it's changed is the way they officiate it these days. You've got a referee, you've got two ARs, you've got a TMO. They're all wired up to each other. They're all talking to each other the whole time, uh, and that for that way uh, they've all got opinions. They all want to be heard, uh, and the game stops. Uh, what what is your impression of rugby and, and officiating at the moment? And last week was a classic example. I mean, what, 18 penalties not, and not a yellow card for the All Blacks? Yeah, look, it's it's frustrating because, you know, professionalism changes everything. And, um, you know, in the old days, you know, I remember uh, 83, a long time ago, Clive Norlin played Argentina in the cricket ground and uh, 
we ran the ball from halfway. Uh, Peterson, the flanker, knocked the ball down. And Clive Norlin gives us a penalty try from halfway. <laughs> anyway, then he calls the teams in and says, guys, I'm the ref. Let's play the game. And then after the game, Hugo Porter says, if the referee was going to call us in, I would have bought a picnic basket. Uh, things have changed since then. As you're right, uh, we saw the spring box as well last week. <laughs> we saw Russell Erasmus give one hour on, on the laws of the game. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. The, the second test, it's every little thing the referees go and check. Every little thing. The game is supposed to be about skill, speed and entertainment. We don't watch, people don't watch or pay money to watch a referee stand there and reset a scrum five times and he's never had a pack his head in a scrum. Now we've got a goal line dropout. Well, why don't we might as well go and play rugby league? I mean, it's, it's getting to that stage where they're very, very similar. Uh, if you watch the box versus the lines, it was who kicks the ball the most and who makes the most mistakes. It wasn't about wanting to entertain. It was about winning. And unfortunately, you know, if you watch those three games, it wasn't great to watch. Uh, but then the All Blacks Wallaby game, you get these different interpretations um, every week. There's something different. And you sit there and you go, mate, the line, the ball has not gone straight into a scrum for I don't know how long. And once they'll pull it up and the rest of the time they'll let it go. Be consistent. Just be consistent. The laws are there. The players are trying to follow them. But the referees are the ones sometimes who've got different interpretations. It's a mess. I don't like... People watch, they want to watch a flowing game of rugby and some referees allow it and some referees want to be the stars. And I think we've got to change some of the laws of the game to make it very, very simple. Yeah, well, it, that does, it smarts of rugby league. You know, as you say, I mean, we get a lot of messages in, uh, who, after the weekend saying, Gee, I'd, I'd much rather... Uh, it's easier to, to look at a game of rugby league these days. It's far easier, but it's much more defined, you know, uh, it makes me shudder at times to have to say that, but uh, the fact of the matter is true. David, uh, Dave, Dave Rennie, um, your your early impressions of of Dave Rennie and what a second year in charge. Yeah, mate, it's hard because you know, I'm an Australian. Um, I can't see you Kiwis ever employing an Australian coach, <laughs> coach to the Blacks. Um, you know, we we've, we've won two rugby World Cups with two Australian coaches, but yet we don't want to pick an Australian coach. Um, you know, Dave's. Obviously, well-known over there. He did a great job with the Chiefs. Um, but, you know, it's a different culture. It's a different way of life. We are different. Every country used to have its own style of rugby. Uh, we used to, you know, win games with our back lines. Now it's changed, um, you know. And I, I'm still trying to understand what sort of style of rugby do we want to play? There's no definite understanding. You know, we get the ball, we do like everyone else. Hit it up, hit it up, hit it up. We pass it back behind the first line of defence. We all the players there offside. The ball's getting caught behind the advantage line. You know, the old days was get to the advantage line. Once you got there, you got forward momentum. Uh, yes, I'm old. I know that. I know the game's changed. Players are different. Uh, but they seem to spend too much time on defence instead of less time on attack. Um, you know, Dave Rooney came from a team, the Chiefs, who, who played a great style of rugby. Um, but at the moment, we've got a lot of players whose skill factor is not great. Who are, we are struggling uh, to do simple things. So if we've got the skills, you can, you can play whatever you want to play. And that's what we concentrated on in the old days was our back lines because we needed to have flair, uh, attack from anywhere. And obviously, if you've got the skills to do that, it's actually easy to do. So Dave's you know, two years in. It's not easy, but 
I would rather an Australian coach, uh, but we haven't had a system where we've allowed Australian coaches to actually go to that next level. David Campisi, just looking at that then and, and looking what, what you'd like to see happen, what changes with the squad that you have uh, in New Zealand available to you, uh, what's, what changes would you make starting this weekend? Uh, look, this weekend, obviously, you talked about you've got... Uh, look, it's difficult. We've got so many different styles of play at the moment. You've got different number 10s playing different styles out here. Um, and the combinations is always hard. Uh, Nick White's a good player. I like Craig McDermott very well, very much. He's a, he's a very, he's a live wire. He keeps you guessing. Um, but what we've, we've got to try and get is a combination 8, 9 and 10. Uh, then you have the centres and then you have the fullback and wingers. Uh, at the moment, we seem to have, we, we seem to want to throw all our best plays on the fields, not necessarily the best plays in those positions. We're trying to get everyone on there. Um, like if you look at Patea, uh, uh, Patea's not a bad player, but he's not a winger. And yet he shoved on the wing. Uh, Hodge, Hodge has played fullback, wing, centre, ten. <laughs> so we got great utility players, but we just need to get a backline that are specialists in those positions. So the thirteen can create space for the fullback and wingers. At the moment, our poor wingers don't get the ball. Uh, Corobetti, who should be back this week against France, he had to go looking for the ball. He was never on the wing because he could never get it. And that's one of our problems. You know, if you want to have good finishers, you need good combinations. Uh, James O'Connor is still a great player. Uh, we've got a lot of experience, but I think we've just got to try and work our way around what's the best combinations. And um, you know, I think not, uh, White uh, probably the best to start. Um, then you've got uh, well, James O'Connor. You've got a guy called Quade Cooper. I think is a great player. The only problem with Quade is he's a flair player, and coaches can't control flair, so they'd rather not use him. And that's why he's been in the wilderness for the last three or four years. But he's the kind of player that will keep you guessing. But when you've got a player like that, you've got to give him options. You watch when he plays, everybody's running sideways. They will do something for me instead of them giving him an option. That's where we've lost the game. And that's where coaches don't like that because they can't control flair. And that's why most coaches in the world don't allow it. You guys have got McKenzie, uh, Mwonga. You've got some great players who are allowed to show their flair. But in Australia, we've lost that confidence or you know, patience to allow people to do that. And we have got some interesting plays, but again, it could be a, a way of, uh, okay, this week we just need to win. We're going to pick a different team. You pick your best team. Go out there and play. That's, what, that's all we want is a consistency, a style of rugby. Uh, we know they've got the passion. We understand that. We know that they're playing for their country, but they've just got to get that hunger to win, to beat the All Blacks at home. And that's the hardest thing you can ever get. Uh, David, I can't think of a better way to, to thank you uh, on those thoughts because uh, genuine, honest, and uh, I think very, very accurate indeed as well. So uh, thanks for your time this morning uh, and go well in quarantine in Queensland. Let's hope things uh, free up and uh, let's hope uh, you can look on uh, at Eden Park, Bledisloe Cup number two and see uh, another improved performance by the Wallabies and, uh, and they'll be, be, we know they'll be competitive. We know they'll be competitive. Uh, look, we're going to go into a, a little segment that we try every week here. It's called Mount Rushmore. Uh, we're going to go, uh, John Day and I are going to go head-to-head on the top four rugby wingers who weren't All Blacks uh, in our memory. The top four rugby wingers who weren't All Blacks. Uh, and you might even uh, want to text them with four of your own if you can uh, single them out. I think New Zealand have got four really good ones. You could, you could pencil. What about overseas ones uh, after the break? Mount Rushmore here on SENZ. <laughs> Thank you.
7.24, Jimi Hendrix, the Star Spangled Banner, and that is our theme song for Mount Rushmore, uh, which we do uh, once a week. And the theme this morning is top four rugby wingers who weren't all blacks. Right, JD, here we go. My number four. My number four. Wonderful pickup. Jason Cornell to Robinson. And on to Robinson from Perry. Now Robinson goes that corner. Oh, this is a fairy tale. Absolutely incredible. Jason Robinson. That was Robinson there for the Lions in 2001. But man, he was good in that 2003 World Cup, Smithy. Look, he's an incredibly good player. Pocket battleship. Very, very fast. Uh, very industrious as well. Played a, a little bit of rugby at fullback as well, but known to be a winger. Uh, I had to get one um, from uh, up that way. In fact, I've got two because my number three's from up there as well. But uh, to be fair, I, he was just one of those players that I thought was genuinely, genuinely dangerous all the time with ball in hand because his jinky way. Uh, fantastic winger. So no problem with me, Jason Robinson, number four. Number three. Delby Thomas again. Edwards Tabari John. Out to John Dodd. John Williams. Gerald Davis. Can Ian Smith get him? It's Gerald Davis for Wales. Scottish player Ian Smith there missing a tackle on Gerald Davies. Wales <laughs> against Scotland in 1971. No relation? No, no relation. Bill McLaren, of course, uh, we mentioned him about a week ago. Favourite callers. And uh, he was uh, the voice there. Yeah, uh, Gerald Davies. I always will find a hero, a rugby hero, out of the 1971 Lions at Tour New Zealand because that sporting team was the defining team for me. Um, I was just, what, 14 years of age. I never missed a beat of that tour uh, and was one of the things that got me into, into serious sport because I just loved the competition. And the, came, the, the kind of rugby they played too, round the corner kickers, great back line, Mike Gibson at second 5'8". But out on the wing was Gerald Davies, the Welshman, an absolute flyer. Uh, and on the back of a, a lot of great moves. He played very well on that tour. Uh, I've always uh, always followed him. Actually, he's 70-odd uh, years of age now, Gerald Davies, but uh, no doubt for me, number three. Number two. Kearns throws one by Eels. Far Jones, Liner. Liner steps inside. Swallowed by the All Blacks. Far Jones. Campisi. David Campisi. David Campisi all the way. from the leading try scorer in world rugby, David Campisi, came across and simply skated through the all-black defence. Just had him on the phone with us. What a legend. Uh, I hate that try because it was just so good, that 1991 World Cup where they just come around the blind side and Campisi just keeps on running and no one can stop him. They were unstoppable in 91 and Campisi was a massive reason for it, Smithy. Well, it was a, a massive reason for it for uh, about 101 times for the Wallabies. Uh, so that's longevity in itself, which uh, suggests greatness. But he was a fantastic finisher. And whenever he got the ball in his hands, he was entertaining to watch as well, David Campisi. So uh, no problem for me. No problem for me, number two, uh, which leads us to my number one. And the pass wasn't sympathetic. The count is on from South Africa with an overlap. Here goes Habana. I don't think they'll catch him. He's the quickest man on the field. Takiri won't get there. And a breakout try for the Springboks. Brian Habana could outrun anything, including a cheetah. Smithy, they once raced yep. him against a live cheetah, and he's your number one winger who's not an all-black of all time. Yes, he is, actually. I know this is all very subjective, but Brian Habana, 
a terrific man, uh, a wonderful obliging man too, a great advertisement for rugby, great advertisement for the Springboks, but aside from that, uh, he was just a fleet-footed guy who you just give you just give space to, like David Campisi was talking about, give him space, it's all over Red Rover, the quickest guy on a rugby field pretty much in every game that he ever played. Uh, and so I, I don't have a doubt there, Brian Habana, uh, he'd have been good in uh, an all-black jersey, don't you worry, uh, finishing uh, tries for some of our guys, but... Uh, absolutely fantastic player. So they, John, are my top four and my Mount Rushmore of overseas wingers. Let's get into yours. All right, mate. Number four for me. Blanco on the counter-attack. This is typical adventure. Philippe Sella. And notice how the backs anticipate this great interplay to Cumberbero. Unsettling England and Cumberbero's recovered. It sees the man galloping up. It's Saint-Andre. It depends on the bounce and he's under the post. One of the most sensational tries Cricketham's ever seen. I had to go for a Frenchman uh, because of just how brilliant they were in 1994. It opened my eyes up as a young kid when they came here and beat the All Blacks twice, once at Eden Park, the last team to do it, uh, and once at Lancaster Park in Jonah Lomu's debut. And opposite him was Emile Intermac, but I went the other side, the other winger, Philippe Saint-André, played 69 test matches, scored 32 tries, and was just part of that French back line that just had so much flair with Blanco and co. I just couldn't Leave him out. I need some flair in my uh, Mount Rushmore smithy, so I've gone with Saint Andre. Okay, so number three. Oh, knock on. The All Blacks have lost it. Gascott, now Underwood. He's a He's a flyer. They'll never stop him. Not this time. A famous Lions try there at Athletic Park when they beat us in 1993. Rory Underwood had so much gas. I mean, I, I hated the look of him uh, because I was very anti English. As a young kid, I just didn't think they could compete with us. But every time the English or the Lions seemed to beat New Zealand, it was because of Rory Underwood. And he just had so much speed, Smithy. So I think they're out and out gas. I'd like to see Habana against Underwood in a, in a foot race. Oh, you would, would you? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think uh, Habana would beat him today. There's yeah. no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Probably, he's probably 15 years, 20 years older. Uh, but having said that, there was two Underwoods, weren't there? Uh, we've, we've got to move along, John. So are uh, your last two... Really that important? Are you going to play um, Probably not to you. Uh, one of them is exactly the same as you. My number two is David Campisi as well. Because uh, just Kuhn okay. versus Campisi growing up, amazing. But this is my number one. A chance of foul now. Just went past. Richerie, this is the fastest man in world rugby. And he's thrilled the crowd at Suncorp Stadium. Rupeni Thauthauimbutha has scored an absolute gem. Rupini Thauthauimbutha, greatest overseas winger ever, played eight test matches, I don't care. He could have just played one and he'd be my greatest overseas winger of all time. No one faster, no one more exciting, no one more electric. Uh, he just had his demons off the field which held him back, Smithy. But for me, Rupini, number one overseas winger of all time. Well, John, I think you've been drinking it. It sounds like that commentator had been as well. Let's go to the news, eh? Trudy. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. It's 11.33 and that is your, your cue to call. Your cue to call here is on 0800 150 811. And yet this morning you will be winning 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers. There is no doubt about that. We've uh, managed to get more vouchers in. It's such a popular segment uh, and you could be popular as well if you can beat me. 
So get in out there for Stump Smithy right here and now, and already the phones are starting to light up, which is a great sign. Uh, there's a few texts coming, uh, well, more than a few actually. I hope we have the opportunity before we talk to staff as well, um, prior to the 12 o'clock news, to read some of them out. Um, here's a couple uh, guys. Four, uh, Rory Underwood. Three, Jerry Hermesays. Remember him, Jerry Hermesays. Uh, two, David Campisi. One, Gerald Davis. Cheers that, for that, Ken. Uh, wingers who weren't All Blacks, Brendan Bufflaney, Ndolo, and Jared Hokanui from the Tamuka Senior Bees, along with Campo. Uh, they're the top four for Jim from Tamuka. Um, I've got one here. Um, Grev says, I thought Paul Corlett, the Celtic flyer, would have gone close to the, the best four wingers who weren't All Blacks. I'm not sure about that, Grev, and I'm just looking out the window and I'm seeing the blue sky shining. You should be painting, my mate. You should be painting. Uh, thanks for listening in, though. Uh, yeah, so a lot of opinions there and, and certainly some more on uh, on uh, really whether Ian Foster's under pressure or uh, Scott Robertson is the natural replacement. There are other options, according to a lot of people out there. John, how are we looking? We're looking good, Smithy. In fact, we have got Craig on line two. G'day, Craig. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Auckland. Auckland, very good. And we do have TAB vouchers. So John yesterday from Upper Hutt, I think, who won. Uh, we will be getting you a $50 TAB voucher. Uh, you know how the game works, Craig? I've heard it, yep. Yeah, yep. mate, good stuff. All right, so your sporting categories for today are rugby, Olympics and golf. Which one are you going to go for? Uh, I'll try golf. Golf, Nice. Smithy backs himself on golf, so this could be very interesting. All right, Craig from Auckland. Golf. Get three questions right, you get a $50 TAB voucher. Get one wrong, Smithy has an opportunity to stump you. So, question number one. Jack Nicholas, heard of him? Heard of him, yeah. Yep, that's a good start then. He's won the most golf majors. How many did Jack Nicholas win? 18. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Everyone knows that, Smithy. Are you old enough to remember Jack Nicholas winning majors? Who, me? Yeah. I would be, yes. Oh, you both are. Yeah, yeah. we both are. Excellent. He, he won his last one, I think, was, 19, was it 1986? He won the Masters. Um, I could be wrong there. Uh, but I think, oh, I certainly was live on TV. I remember watching it. So moving along, John. Yep. Excellent. All right. Uh, speaking of another guy who won a few majors, Tiger Woods and Sam Sneed are tied for the most PGA Tour victories. How many have they won, Craig? No. This is going to be a guest. Ooh, I don't know, 33. He's got him. He's out caught. An opportunity for a stumping. 33. Smithy was wrong. 83. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. So close, Smithy, but no cigar. 82. 82 oh. PGA Tour oh. victories. So you're just one shy there, which means Craig gets another life. So get this right, Craig. $50 TAB voucher coming in to your account. New Zealand's Danny Lee has played 270 events on the PGA Tour with one victory. Which tournament did he win? Oh, God only knows. Uh, 
the Phoenix Open. Oh, I probably would have guessed that too. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> but not correct. Smithy, how closely do you follow Danny Lee? Well, quite closely, actually, because he's basically, apart from Tim Wilkinson, he's our only hope on the PGA, and I'm not sure he's going to be on the PGA next year. But however, uh, I do recall that he has won one, but it, it's, it's lost me as well. I'm going to go a little bit obscure and say the Canadian Open. He's got him. He's out court. No, Smithy, you're wrong. It's the Greenbrier Classic, which means, Craig oh. from Auckland, you are the winner. Hang on the line. Thank you. Anytime, mate. Anytime. Well done, Smithy. You had a couple of chances there with golf, but not easy questions. Just just one away there for the Tiger Woods one. Yeah, yeah the 83 is the number. It's the elusive number. It's not the number they're on. And I've seen a documentary on it and everything. Uh, um, Sam Snead, great golfer. What a fantastic... And a smooth dude with a, he played in a beautiful hat. Uh, all of that was his signature standard of dress. But, uh, yeah, swing, swinging Sam or slamming Sam Snead, they called him back in those days. So... Uh, yeah, but 82 is the number, you're right, 83 is the goal, the magic number is 83, so I got that back to front, which is really disappointing. Um, staff, uh, staff coming up at, at 12 o'clock, uh, should we take a quick break and come back with some text? I think that would be a good thing to do. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, speaking of SENZ, together with Rebel Sport, who are celebrating 25 years in the business, uh, SENZ and Rebel are compiling New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years. Uh, you can be in there. Text now, 8833, help us out. What you think should be on the list, we'll compile them and count them down from Thursday. Uh, that's this Thursday coming. New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years for Rebel Sport. Text now, 8833 on SENZ. And the same number you've been busy of late. Are we talking about the Warriors coach or the All Blacks coaches? This is talk you normally hear about the Warriors uh, when it comes to coaching issues. It was just a subject that, you know, you hear talked about quite a lot. So uh, why not uh, bring it up and, and get some opinion? We've certainly got some there. Uh, morning, thanks uh, for the live stream Really, uh, it's been great. We're hearing it all over here in Queensland on the All Blacks coaching staff debate. 100% support for Razor with the Kiwis living in, in this nick of the woods. So that's as far away as Queensland. Uh, the All Blacks game on the weekend was just boring. My five-year-old boy and I enjoyed the Warriors game so much more. The ref just needs to put his whistle away and let them play. The All Blacks are just not playing at the standard they should be. Uh, and haven't since uh, Ian Foster took over. That's Brian. Uh, morning, Ian. Really liking your shows. The All Blacks have been inconsistent for the last two years, of which Ian Foster was a big part, including what I consider our worst defeat to England in the semi-final. If we don't come up with a strong and not mistake-ridden performance on Saturday, then the heat will really go on, and I also see some of our senior players are coming to the end. Interesting. It's uh, from another Brian. And let's make it a trifecta of Brian's, shall we? Morning, Anna. It wasn't Fozzie giving away the penalties. There wasn't a ton of test match experience in the ABs. Uh, the blame is squarely. Uh, there was a ton of penalties and there was a ton of experience. Uh, the blame is squarely on the players. They should have been able to rectify the problem on the field. That's Brian. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for on-the-field leadership. And the coach can only do so much once they cross the white line. 
um, really, apart from making substitutions. There's not a hell, hell of a lot he can do. Uh, guys, who said Robinson would be the next coach if Fozzie got removed? What about uh, Plumtree and Gatland or even Joseph and others? Uh, the other name that's uh, been thrown in by Chase is Tom Coventry as well. And hasn't he had a very fine track record? So throw it out there, John Day. Throw it out there, and you're always going to get reaction. So, uh, and Elliot says uh, on a totally different note, the Warriors to sneak into the the eight following a six-game winning streak. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think Elliot and I should buy a lotto ticket on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, uh, John, just moving along. Yeah, it is. It's a very impassioned sort of uh, subject, isn't it, when you talk about All Black coaches. Uh, Absolutely. when things aren't, to, because we demand such high standards, and, and it's as simple as that. Yeah. A win is not a win. Uh, win a uh, win isn't good enough. A really, really, really good win is acceptable. Yeah, we had Steve Hansen on yesterday, and he said he likes that. He likes the passion from the public. You know, he, he want, they're always searching for the perfect performance. We've got the best rugby players in the world, or we think we do. Uh, South Africans might have an argument with that, uh, but w- I think we do, and I want to see more. Uh I don't know about you, Smithy. I've chucked my opinion out there. I think uh, Ian Foster's on shaky ground and really needs a statement game. Uh, I'd like to hear what you think. Yeah, here's another one that's just come in. Uh, Razor with Irish Joe Smith and Jason Ryan. Well, Joe Smith at the moment, I think, is doing another job uh, with uh, World Rugby, but I wouldn't count him totally out and uh, back living in New Zealand together. Uh, it really, really is uh, an interesting subject. What, what would I think? Uh, I think that... Um, and foster coaches, uh, a lot of similarities, similarities uh, along the same line as, as Steve Hansen. And why wouldn't he be? They were uh, close mates and they were a really close, tight partnership and they were successful at times, there's no doubt about it. We haven't lost the Bledisloe Cup under them. Uh, you know, we've basically owned the Rugby Championship. We've won World Cups and, and uh, OK, we missed out on the last one. But, but those blokes have, you know, been floating around the scene for quite some time. Uh, together as a unit, so it wasn't. I, I guess it was a natural progression um, that, that they would go to Ian Foster. Uh, but uh, what worries me is that is you know, are we making giant strides forward? Um, are, are we just a little bit flat in a few areas? Uh, what is our game plan? There's a lot of other coaches involved in the process, uh, you know, as well. There's Scott McLeod, of course, is in there. Um, you've got John Plumtree in there. You've got Greg Feek in there. You've got Brad Moore in there. So it's a, it's a whole group of people with their ideas going forward. And, of course, the bloke who's at the top is always the guy that gets the finger pointed at him. That is just the run, uh, that, uh, or the run of the race, really. It just has to happen that way. So someone has to be accountable, and it's Ian Foster at the moment. But I'm like you, John. I would, uh, I'm not going to Eden Park Saturday, but I will, will be watching it with beer in hand, like Sir Steve Hansen. And I shall be uh, hoping for uh, not a vast improvement, but a, certainly an improvement in a few areas. I don't think we were ever in doubt of losing last Saturday, but it's the, it's the way of how we win, and it seems to be the all-black way. And we asked uh, Richard Noller on the panel if he'd make any changes. He seemed to think no. Would you make any changes from the team that ran out last week? I don't know, really, to be fair. I'm, I'm also one of those school that said you didn't get it right. I, I believe that they you know, won. Put it that way. First of all, they won. Uh, point two is um, I don't mind the theories that you didn't quite get it right, fellas. Here's another opportunity to do that. Um, and if it doesn't work this time around, then I've got I've got issues to sort through and things to look at. So, I, I really um, I really do believe that that's a possibility uh, of of giving them another chance to a large degree. And and they lost. Don't forget they lost a couple of key players. Uh, lost a couple of key players through injury very late in the piece. They lost Scott Barrett, who's uh, really highly rated. 
And, of course, Dane Coles off the bench always creates an impact, and they did not have Dane Coles there. So that's an, uh, an interesting scenario to see just where that calf muscle is at for the Hurricanes and uh, All Black Hooker. Uh, Smithy Campo is dead right about the refs, running scared. Second half of the Lions game on Sunday morning ran for 63 minutes with 23 minutes of checking replays and touch judge decisions. Erasmus did a great job of skewering them into not making a decision. So, you know, that, that's the point that I've been trying to make as well. The game will never flow if you've got four people making decisions about it. It, it just can't. It can't flow. It's, it's impossible to see that happen. So, in all honesty, uh, that's what I made the point earlier in the week. Some people thought I might have been joking a wee bit, but just depower some of them. Get back to the referee being accountable and work with the TMO, sure, for foul play and that sort of stuff. But to be honest, to be honest, too many cooks, too many cooks. And that's been a saying since the year dot. On SENZ. Thanks very much to all the people. I mean, all the people who have texted us this morning. Uh, Stephen, your point uh, about uh, Campo and the refs was absolutely right on the money. Uh, Marshy fan from Southland says, what happened to your good mate Marshy? Dropped to the bench, was he? Uh, no, he wasn't uh, dropped to the bench. He was on the panel. Uh, he'll be back this weekend. Uh, Justin Marshall with Grant Nisbet and Carl Tanana is uh, on the sideline this week. So uh, excellent commentary team there. Steve Hansen's ideas became old and boring. Uh, All Blacks really struggled to put a good performance on the field in the last two years. That should have uh, set alarm bells going that the All Blacks need a new start with fresh ideas. Rugby, World rugby has caught up with us. We need to adapt again, bring in Razor. There is a school of uh, thought, though, Liam, that uh, sides are catching up with the Crusaders. Hmm, maybe, maybe maybe not. What do you think of that? Uh, I, I, and I like the game plan that they were trying on Saturday, moving away from kicking, running the ball from our 40-metre mark. Havili, crash ball, Moanga on second phase ball, with Ioane running direct. Bring on test two, says Jeremy. Uh, I don't think the players are on board with Fozzie. Uh, years to sort out a, a team, two years to sort out a team which he had uh, a decade of involvement with. Interesting. All of those texts. Thank you so much uh, for your communications in this morning. Even Frank saying, remember Bill Burt, Whistle and Maury Dixon and those clashes going way back in time. Uh, speaking of going back slightly in time, but not that far back, Mark Stafford uh, joins Jeez, us now. Settle. Uh, 12 o'clock. <laughs> 12 o'clock. Sorry about that. Oh, I apologise in advance. Uh, yeah, just moving right along, Staff. You've got a busy afternoon, I am sure. And uh, what, are your, what are your major subjects? Uh, major subjects. Um, I guess the first big, big interview we got is Daryl Mitchell out of the New Zealand cricket setup. I picked for two of those teams. So um, he's having a net until 12 o'clock and then lunch till half past 12 and we've got him for about five minutes after the news at 12.30. Uh, the fourth in the series of five with Ben O'Keefe we're playing out today and I think he's back in New Zealand in MIQ. So I've texted him and said, have a listen, we've got a referee on. <clears throat> you might quite enjoy it. Uh, Still waiting to get confirmed Greg Peters from New Zealand. No, we've got him, Greg Peters from New Zealand Rugby League, just to look at the landscape that the Kiwis have got in front of them. Sean Kirkham, who's one of the rowing eight gold medalists, uh, got him as well. Uh, a netballer who we don't know until the team's been named, but we're going to get one of the newly named Silver Ferns. And an interesting one around the devastating news with Olivia Podmore. Um, I'm actually trying to get Mike King uh, to come on. Uh, not confirmed, but I am trying to get him. But I've got a guy on that people won't know who his name. It's Steve Simons, and he was the Hurricanes 
professional development manager for a number of years and he's a guy that fully understands the pressure of athletes um, uh, he won't be naming any he won't be naming any players but just some of the trials and tribulations and how it affects different people different ways so that's at three o'clock that will be and I know it's my show but it will be must listen Steve Simons has great insights to the pressures of professional athletes yeah Steffi uh, I really look forward to that because I think it's now a subject on what we've just heard about overnight in particular and what we've seen in the Olympics we need all to know a lot more about Thank you very much, Trudy. To Brian, who's back on deck today. To John, great show. And stay on, folks, with Safi coming up after the news here at midday. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.